this is Sophie Wilson, and you are listening to the Slow Boat Sailing Podcast. This is Linus Wilson. Welcome to the Slow Boat Sailing Podcast. We're going to pick up where we left off with Tate McDaniel today. He writes the great blog with his wife, Danny, uh, of Sundowner Sales again. They have a YouTube channel, and they've started doing kind of longer episodes of their RV trip. We're going to pick up from his trip with his wife on a West Sail 32 from Isla Mujeres in Mexico, which is next to Cancun on the Yucatan Peninsula of Mexico, as they sail to Providencia, which is an island owned by Colombia, which is in the middle of the Caribbean Sea, uh, the Western Caribbean Sea. Kind of early on in this, and then uh, somewhat in the middle, my dog Daly makes an entrance, and I couldn't really edit it out because Tate was also talking at the same time, and so that would interrupt our understanding of what Tate was saying, which I thought was very interesting. Unfortunately, if you hear kind of rattling or <laughs> coughing, uh, that's that's poor Daly. He's a he's a nine year old toy poodle, and we believe that he probably has health issues that cause him to cough like that, especially when he's excited. So, sorry about that, but uh, it it adds to the ambiance. I was in the cockpit of uh, Contango, the slow boat, at the time, and for a good part of the interview, you hear the seagulls going over two also which i could not entirely edit out but that's that's the wonder of uh having audio and uh being on the water so i hope you enjoyed this week's episode i really did i thought there was some really great advice especially about satellite communication and wi-fi for people that are thinking about going cruising uh, in the near future i certainly learned a lot I also found his discussion of El Nino very interesting, and I am tempted to bring on some other guests uh, just to talk about the the role of kind of global climate and the trade winds. So here's Tate McDaniel of Sundowner Sales again. You know what? really impressed me about your story uh, was how you made Providencia from Isla, that I thought that was a, a great feat of sailing skill based on the currents and the winds to, to make all that easting to, to round Nicaragua. I just was kind of floored by you guys being able to do that. Yeah, you know, we, we had a we had a good weather window at the beginning. I, I looked at it and I said, Danny, I think we can do this. I think we can go. And we had still thought about going down to Belize and Guatemala, but we had spent so much of our time, you know, waiting because of the other problems. Uh, we decided we would just skip that because we didn't want to beat out of Guatemala once the uh, trade winds started. And so Danny said, okay, if you think we can do it, then, then let's give it a go. And uh, so we, we just, I mean, we were hard on the breeze the entire time until we rounded that tip of Nicaragua and then headed down. We kind of let up after that. But uh, it was a pretty interesting sail. It took us, uh, I think, 
little over seven days to make it. And um, we got lucky with the weather and um, just the wind vane steered well, the sails were doing well. Um, we only had, we had one incident where we got hit by a squall on that sail and there was a uh, shackle. Uh, the jib wasn't, you know, we didn't have a tie. There was a shackle that had just always been on the jib and it exploded. Like it, it just totally disintegrated in the middle of the squall. And part of it was still on the jib and the, but the lines had let go. And so the sail was flogging and it got a whole bunch of holes punched in it from this piece of hardware just flogging on the sail. I was, when it, when it blew up, I was actually on deck reefing the mainsail. And uh, that was a pretty exciting time. And uh, we had to make repairs. But that was that was the only only really bad thing that happened on that sail. Oh, awesome. So you waited for some winds that were a little bit favorable. Were, what, what direction were they coming from? Well, it was coming mainly out of the north um, at the beginning. And that's what I wanted to see. So when we left Isla, uh, we dropped down a little ways, and then I just headed straight east, using the north wind to give me a beam reach out. And I rode that as hard and long as I could. And, uh, you know, to someone that's not used to navigation, like Danny kept looking at the chart, and she said, we're not going in the right direction. I said, yeah, but it's going to be okay. We're going to have to turn. And we just rode that and rode that and rode that. And when, when it forced us to head south, uh, we, we had bought ourselves enough easting to make it around Nicaragua, so it worked. Oh, awesome. You took advantage of the north winds, and you got as much easting as possible. You were not going straight for your course. You were just trying to get east. Yeah, exactly. I, I wasn't even concerned with where Providencia was. In fact, part of the time we were actually going... Uh, northeast, like almost back towards Cuba. Um, right, because the current's you know, pushing it, you there. Any, yeah, anything I could do to get to the east is what I did for as long as I could. Is uh, yeah, I was I was wondering if that maybe the current in some sense is a help against the trade winds that it 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 doesn't get you to your destination faster, but it also doesn't push you into Nicaragua too quick. No, it doesn't, but um. I don't know if it's helpful or not. I, I tell you, I, I have a real um, respect for the Gulf Stream. That is a serious current. And when we finally got out of it, when we finally got south of, of Providencia and got out of it, and the boat speed went back up when we were heading south, it was an amazing feeling. It really was. It's like, finally, we're not fighting this thing. <laughs> okay, I bet. So you guys were not you were not tacking back and forth that much. You did you no, did you no, ever? Not at all. I mean, really long legs. Um, you know, we. I would say, you know, it, it's an amazing figure for if you're a racing sailor. It, it would shock you, but I think we tacked or jived maybe a total of fifteen times in the two thousand. Blue water miles we've sailed. I mean, something really low like that. So you waited for your north wind, but didn't that mean you had a wind against current situation? Yeah, yeah, it did. And we, we had some, I 
mean, there were waves out there, don't get me wrong, but it wasn't strong enough to kick up like a really huge chop. Uh, during some of the time we were out there, we were probably in eight-foot waves, uh, and occasionally, you know, you'd see a much bigger one, maybe a 10 or even a 12 uh, every so often. But they weren't, they weren't in high frequency, so it really wasn't all that bad. In fact, some of the time out there, it was almost hypnotic the way the boat would ride up and down. You know, you feel like a rubber duck going up and over. Um, it wasn't one of those passages where you're, the boat's crashing down through the waves or anything like that. I mean, we really, we really did it right. Uh, I, I think it was more luck than any sort of skill. That window was so nice, but uh, it worked out. Well, I'm, I'm sure you guys have a lot of sailing skill to just listening to your background what was kind of the wind speed for most of that trip probably 10 to 15 um okay except so, on the squalls okay we wanted something a little further away you know places that are not on the beaten path i think providencia really is one of those places we stayed there for three months we literally left the day our visa expired <laughs> and you know, in that time, we saw maybe 20 boats there, maybe. And that that sounds like a lot, but over three months, that's really not a lot. And there were many weeks where we were the only boat in the anchorage there, just all by our lonesome selves. And um, the island was great. The people were wonderful. It was safe. Uh, that, it's got to be one of the best anchorages we ever visited. Um, the holding is excellent, and the wind kind of funnels between... Santa Catalina and Providencia Island, and so you have a steady 10-knot breeze and fair weather at all times, so even though the temperature is wow. high, it's, it's like being air-conditioned, you know? But oh, nice. it has no dock, and it has no water amenities that are easy, um, everything's rain-fed there, so you have to be prepared to, you know, take care of yourself and live off the grid, and I think that's what deters a lot of boats. Uh, you don't exactly pull in there and hook up to anything. You're just kind of on your own. And uh, that really works for us. Well, I, I guess if you're contemplating the trip that you've been contemplating, you got to. Uh, <laughs> it's good to get some practice doing that, right? <laughs> Live it off the grid. Right? There's not, there's not many marinas in the Marquesas, right? Yeah, there's not many out there. And, um, <laughs> or or any. <laughs> Your trip from Providencia to uh, you go to the went to the Sand Blas, is that right? Yeah, that's correct. Uh, how was that? It, it was amazing. Um, Sand Blas is uh, is a really special place. Didn't have any trouble in the Caribbean. You had the wind wind on your beam, or maybe following well, the, the trip from the trip from Providencia to San Blas was. We, uh, we, once again, just lucked out, picked a good weather window, took off, um, had, had went on the beam the entire way, and we actually, uh, everyone told us that once you get within around between 200 and 100 miles offshore from San Blas, uh, the winds will die down there, and you, you kind of got to motor the rest of the way. But that didn't happen. 
between the islands, and I didn't start the motor until we were maybe a thousand yards off Port Veneer. Uh, I could have literally sailed in there if I felt like it, but that's a, a really dangerous place to sail into, so we started the, the motor up. All right. You spent some time in the San Blas. How long were you in the San Blas? Uh, three and a half months. Okay. Did you visit quite a few anchorages, or uh, were there any parts that you liked the best? We, we really like the Hollandaise Keys. Um, that's where the uh, swimming pool anchorage is, and that was a truly beautiful place to be. Um, I don't think it would be a good anchorage in the windy season. Our time in San Blas was spent during the dry season. Um, I mean, I'm sorry, not dry, the rainy season. There's the rainy season and the windy season. Okay, so what is and the rainy season in Panama? What is the rainy season in Panama? Yeah, the, the rainy season is from, like, I think it's either May or June until December. And uh, it's there's lots of little rainstorms, thunderstorms that come through. And when they're not, when it's not raining, it's usually very still. Um, a lot of people don't like to go there during that time because it's hot and there's bugs and things like that, and it also affects the water clarity. Uh, when it's raining a lot during the rainy season, uh, you need to be further offshore to have that really crystal clear water, because there's mud coming down off the mountains with all the rain and everything. Um, then, in December, the Christmas winds come, the trade winds come, and it kind of changes. There's always a breeze. Uh, it doesn't rain anymore, so you can be further inshore and still have the really clear water. And if you're further offshore, there's big waves coming now. And so it's not as clear swimming on the reefs or even dangerous swimming on the reefs during that time. So our time is spent there in the unusual low season, which is that rainy time. Danny mentioned that in a bog explaining why you guys left Panama, that it was a lot easier to snorkel before, uh, and then right now it's kind of an awful time to snorkel uh, because of the wind. Well, I think that's only true in the, the outer islands. Um, there's definitely places you can go, uh, but the places that we liked, it, it is true what she said. Like at the swimming pool, you're about 15 miles offshore, and there's a reef, and then there's the open Caribbean Sea. And, I mean, once those, those waves start going, it's just thundering out there, and you can't see anything. There's huge currents, riptides, all kinds of stuff like that going on. So you kind of need to find islands that are uh, closer to land, you know, more protected back. And you can find those uh, easily, and, and there'll, there'll still be a lot of beautiful snorkeling there. But we like to be out in the swimming pool because I was doing a lot of spearfishing, and uh, that's really where the fish are. On the outer islands. Yeah, yeah. On those outer reefs, you have to kind of get away from where all the people are, and you, 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 you're not supposed to spearfish in certain parts of the San Blas. Like the Kuna don't allow it. So, but if you get to the remote places, um, they're okay with it. So, the San Blas have a reputation of being uh, very remote. I guess there's really no place to buy food. Uh, can in Port Veneer, can you, you buy diesel there? 
uh, it, it's really not that bad. And uh, what we saw, um, you can get diesel. It's not at Port Vanier. Uh, there's other islands. I think you can get diesel at Yam Salabin Island. There are these uh, pangas that are that the Kuna operate and some Panamanians operate, and they kind of roam throughout the island, and they have tons of vegetable and vegetables, meat, uh, wine, fruit, you know, all kinds of stuff, and they'll come right up to your boat, and you can buy it off of them. Uh, it, it, they call them the veggie boats, and so it's sort of like a mobile grocery store. And the, the thing is, they're not really reliable. You don't know when they're coming, and you have to be ready for them, but 90% of all our shopping was done off of veggie boats. Okay, you can cool. go to some, some of the islands have little stores that have staples on them, um, but you're, you're really limited in your selection of what you're going to be able to buy. Awesome. You guys are now off the boat. I read that you're, you're RVing right now and you're in the great state of Louisiana at the moment. Where did you decide to put up your boat in, in Panama after you visited the San Blas? Uh, we left the boat in a marina called Panamarina, which is very close to uh, Linton Bay. <clears throat> and it's it's a day sail from the, the San Blas Islands. Um, I think from Port Vanier, it's like 50 miles. Uh, and it's a very small marina, uh, mom and pop sort of operation. It's not a travel lift. They have a hydraulic trailer that lifted the boat out of the water and everything, uh, but it is a gated yard, and the people seem to really care there. Uh, they take good care of the boats. And we talked to a lot of other people that had left their boats there for extended periods, and so that's why we decided to, to leave her there. Uh, so do you, do you get, do you do your own bottom jobs, or are you gonna have them do it for you, or? Uh, I'm probably going to have them do it there. The labor is very reasonable there for the bottom job, and um, so I'm probably going to have them do that, and while they do that, I'm going to take care of other maintenance we need to do before the Pacific Crossing. Uh, you know, our, our batteries are a little over five years old, and I'm going to go ahead and replace those, and just other, you know, general maintenance items that need to be done before a, a crossing. What did you do to get it ready for storage for several months or a year? Yeah, there was uh, one thing. We got got all the food off boat. We took everything that bugs might get into out and packaged it in, like, uh, Tupperware. Uh, we took all the linens off and laundered them and then vacuum sealed them. We propped all the cushions up so condensation can't get under them. We, we had uh, these, uh, it's like basically a bag of formaldehyde. You can't be in the boat when it's in there, but when we left, we open those. They prevent mold inside the boat. Uh, I changed the oil in all the engines. I drained fluid out of any carburetors we had. You know, close up the seacocks. Uh, we didn't really have to worry about flushing the water lines or anything like that because it doesn't freeze there, but otherwise we would have done that. Um, you know take the sails down and make sure they're okay and packed away safely. I'm trying to think what else. You know, just, just general stuff like that. Did you disconnect Locked the batteries? Down. Pardon? Did you disconnect the batteries or? No, I left them, I left them on. Um, I, I 
running, but they're still connected so that the bilge pump can run. Okay. If, for, like, there was a leak or something, I wanted to pump water out. Now, the marina there will come around once a month or once every week or whatever they said, and they'll you leave your, your manual handle out, and they'll try to pump it to make sure, you know, nothing's going wrong in there. But, uh, you know, I don't know. How much do you rely on people? So I just love the, the batteries connected to the bilge pump, and I have a solar panel still up uh, to keep them to keep them going. Right. The only the way, only way water is going to get in there is like rainwater, right? I mean, it's 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 on blocks yeah. or something. Yeah, exactly. Um, but uh, in Panama during the rainy season, it does rain a lot. So <laughs> you know, I, I could I could see many many gallons of water getting in the boat if. If something, you know, I think it's very low chance anything like that would happen, but just in case, you know. Sounds like a good plan. Uh, okay, so uh, your current uh, plan is to sail the South Pacific uh, when? Uh, we will return to Panama next year and try to go ahead and, and make the crossing then. So, you know, probably in, like, March of next year. Something like that. Okay. All right. So, cyclone season in the South Pacific is, uh, oh, is goes through April, maybe? April, right. May. But you're going to be, the first part of that, you'll be in the doldrums there, and you're not even in the cyclone zone. And uh, I guess exactly. the, Mar the Marquesas are not are not frequented by cyclones, at least the northern Marquesas. Well, also in a, a small, slow boat like ours, you know, it's it's going to take us, it's a 4,000-mile trip if you don't stop at, at Galapagos or something like that. And, uh, you know, if we do well on average four knots, that's 40 days. So if we leave in the beginning of March, we won't even get over there until April, so. That makes sense. Uh, is that have you talked to other people that are kind of uh, looking at the Pacific crossing uh, what what time of year are they looking to do that leave uh, Panama City yeah absolutely we've done a lot of homework on that and uh, it varies with the uh, conditions um, the consensus seems to be that in an El Nino year uh, you would need to leave earlier or later and I'm talking much earlier or much later than normal and during normal years, uh, a lot of people head out between March and April, um, just depending on how fast your boat is and uh, how well you can sail and, and all like that. And if you're going to stop at Galapagos or Pitcairn or you know anything along the way, you have to kind of factor that in. But I think most people are, are going to be leaving towards uh, early April or end of March. Okay, you mentioned this, uh, and I saw that on the blog about the El Nino year, and I didn't, I didn't understand, and I've not researched the kind of El Nino effect on the South Pacific trade wind pattern. So maybe you could educate me and uh, the listeners about that. Yeah. So what El Nino is for anybody listening that may not know is that the the water in the Pacific Ocean is warmer than normal. And uh, this has all kinds of strange effects all over the world, but specific to the Pacific Ocean, uh, you're going to have uh, an elongated storm season in the eastern Pacific.
Pacific, and the storms are going to tend to be more violent and more numerous, uh, in addition to happening in odd times. And it also creates different conditions throughout the whole ocean. Um, typically, the trade winds will not be as strong, and in certain years, they've even died off completely or reversed, which would be really tragic if you're thinking across <laughs> That'd be frustrating. Um, and what that, what that means practically for a sailor, if you're out there, is that you're going to see a lot more squalls, like little thunderstorms shooting through and not steady breeze. And uh, what that translates to is more sail changes, more tacks, more aggravation, wear and tear on the boat. It's going to slow you down. And uh, on a crossing that long, we just didn't feel the need to fight that. Um, especially this year, which they say is the strongest El Nino on record um, ever. Wow. So uh, that, that's that's kind of what made the decision for us. Uh, we just didn't want to go fight all that. Now, I thought I'd heard, you know, decades ago before I was a sailor that they the El Ninos can last many years. Is, is, is that right? Well, typically an El Nino lasts one season. It's, it's unusual for an El Nino to last two seasons, which this one is doing. It started last year and it's, it's continued into this year. I don't know how many have lasted more than two seasons, but it's, it's not common for that to happen. So we're hoping that it dies off. I really don't think that the uh, scientists and oceanographers and everybody know, um, they have a lot of trouble predicting. They, they don't know how to predict an El Nino is coming. It just sort of seems to happen. Uh, no one's ever provided a good explanation to me that, that I could listen to. So, uh, but, but I'm hopeful that it'll, it'll be over for next season. So where, where do you normally get your weather forecasting from? I was wondering that along your description of the trip. Yeah, I, I really like Passage Weather. Um, dot com. It's a great website. Uh, they provide good, high-level overview of what's going on. I use local forecasting if I'm in a vicinity anywhere, and I also subscribe to Ocean, um, who provides uh, worldwide weather for mariners. Oh, okay. Uh, is that is that service really expensive, or uh, I think we subscribe to Chris Parker. Uh, when we went to the Bahamas for three months, it was like, I don't know, for emails, it was like $95 for three months. Yeah, um, yeah Oceans is, uh, they have a bunch of different packages, so it can be as expensive and as cheap as you want. Um, the particular one that I use is a uh, text, text message system uh, that I can use with my satellite text message uh, device. And uh, the way it works is that I send a text with a GPS coordinate, and they send me a three-day forecast uh, in text. They have a little system. You have to kind of decipher it. And I think that for unlimited number of forecasts on that is like $75 a year or something like that. Oh, wow. That's really reasonable. Yeah, it's, it's been really good. Um, you know, they give you all kinds of information and wave height and all this stuff, but it, it's kind of aggravating because you have to like know where you're going and text those coordinates to it. 
and then they give you a three-day forecast. So, uh, yeah, that was something not, I was definitely interested in. Uh, whether you you can get kind of text message forecast because you know they they've got the I guess what is it? Maybe you have Delorme. Maybe is would be my guess. Those yeah, things are. Is that that's the, exactly what right. we use. Yeah, those are sat phones that have very good coverage in uh, almost all over the world, uh, but and they're relatively inexpensive, uh, but they only get text messages. You can't get data, and then the then the big step up is to get you know one where you get very slow data, and uh, I was wondering. So you kind of answered my question that I was still debating about you know what sat phone to get. You know, can I get weather forecasts uh, for just text messages? Yeah, that's that's the only um, provider that I know of that offers that service, and uh, I've been pretty pleased with it. Uh, obviously, it's not good um, for you know you don't get like the whole big picture. It's not like looking at a grub or anything like that. You're just getting like a pinpoint weather forecast for three days, and that's it. So um, you can't like. I mean, I wouldn't use it to like at the start of a passage. I'm gonna use every data point I can. Oh yeah. Any anything that's available. But the way we we kind of see it is like once we're out there, um, if something big is heading our way, one of our family members would send us a message and say, "Hey, watch out, this is coming." And otherwise, we just get our daily forecast uh, from that guy, and it, it's it's been fairly accurate for us. We, we kind of know what to expect in the next three days. So oceans, where is it? it, it, it is, is, I, I'd never heard that service before. Is, that, uh, is it spelled? It's, uh, it's spelled O-C-E-N, um, okay. S. But uh, if you Google it or, or go to their website, I think it's just oceans.com. Um, they're, they're one of the major commercial uh, mariner weather providers but they do offer these these services for like you know individuals and, and they're very reasonable okay um yeah I, how did you deal with data um in i i guess in cuba it was probably almost impossible outside the marina but uh maybe in the san blas did you did you have any access outside of the sat phone or how did you? Oh, absolutely. Uh, San Blas is covered uh, mostly by Digicel, which is a local telecommunication, and somewhat by another company called Moss Mobile. And uh, all you have to do when you get down there is get a SIM card and stick it in a cell phone and put money on it, and uh, it, it'll work. Um, so you had an unlocked cell phone? No, what, what we actually use is called a MiFi. Yeah. It is a device that accepts a SIM card and it just broadcasts a, uh, a, a Wi-Fi hotspot. Yeah, so we unlocked our, our MiFi last year. <laughs> so, or, yeah, 2015. So, yeah, that's what we used in the Bahamas, but it it was not an yeah. easy process. <laughs> well, it, 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 was, it wasn't so bad. I mean, we used, um, we used it everywhere we've been uh, so far, and and it's been pretty good. Like outside of the U.S., it's really easy to just buy a SIM card, stick it in, and use it. So and there was there was like a place in. I feel like it's because you can raise it up the mast and get better. Re- 
and stuff like that. <laughs> there was a place in uh, Pulvernier that you could buy a SIM card? There, it wasn't on Pulvernier. It's like an island that's like a dinghy row away. Okay. Um, it's a, it, one of the really popular so But there's there's lots of islands that sell SIM cards. I mean, they're, they're everywhere out there. And if you just ask other cruisers, someone might have them. Like when Danny and I somehow ended up with like four or five of the things because cruisers would leave they don't and need it anymore. they would say, I don't, I don't need this anymore. Here, give it to someone. So we, we kind of passed them on because we stayed there in one spot for so long. We kind of dispersed SIM cards to anybody coming in, you know? Yeah, so, uh, you know, and you didn't have any trouble, like, topping it up or anything like that? Uh, you just used your regular cell phone for that? or what did you Yeah, do? you can use a regular cell phone or... Uh, Digicel has a website that you can go to and put more money on it and stuff. You don't. It, it was actually pretty pain free. Wow. Okay, that's awesome. You did something similar, I guess, in in uh, Isla. Yeah, exactly. Um, in Isla, we did the same thing. I forget. I forget what cell provider we used, but um, in Isla, if you have a Wi-Fi antenna. Uh, you will be able to get internet from the anchorages. Um, you know, just go go to some of the local bars, buy a beer or two, get their password. And if you wait till later in the evening, you'll have internet. You know, during the day, it's pretty slow. Um, but we patronized several places uh, often and didn't feel bad using the Wi-Fi. We asked them if we could and everything. But the Wi-Fi is, is prevalent in Mexico, so... Oh, okay. So you guys had a Wi-Fi booster. You mentioned that uh, about going up the mast uh, for the the MiFi. Uh, that so did you like you you had an antenna for it that you would just take out in the cockpit and go on the back stay or we just literally take the little device and we would put it in like a Ziploc bag so it couldn't get wet and we put it in a little sack and and like hoist it up on a flag halyard so it's just kind of hanging <laughs> up there in the air okay and it, it gets really good you know once you get it up high it's doing its thing awesome. and you're down in the cockpit with your wi-fi and uh works great all right i never i never thought of that never heard of that that's a really good tip uh <laughs> that's awesome well uh so now your plan is uh, to to RV around. I think that's a really smart way, you know, to live fairly inexpensively. Uh, it's, it sounds like that you you got a good deal on your RV, and you'll probably sell it for about the same price that you got it for. So sounds like you're gonna have a lot of land adventures that we're gonna enjoy too. Yeah, I, I really hope so. Um, one of the biggest factors in us coming back and doing this right now is. We came home for Christmas. My my dad bought us plane tickets as a Christmas present. And when we got here, I stepped off the plane and I looked at the gas station. And I was like, "What is this? Nineteen ninety nine? It was like a buck thirty something for a gallon of gas." And I said, "Danny, we can we could drive around the country for cheap." And, uh, oh, I see. And oh, I, I, really I, I that... hope to capitalize on this. Ah, uh, okay. So that was part of your decision making process that you you saw that this is kind of historically low gas prices. <laughs> this is the time to own an RV. Exactly, exactly. And, you know, I'm a big believer in letting the uh, situation dictate your actions. 
and you know you, you make your goals happen when it makes the most sense to do it and you know I just felt like something was telling me because here's El Nino saying don't go across the Pacific right now and here's U.S. gas prices at historic lows saying why don't you go and live this other dream you have right now and so we're, we're going to try to do it we're definitely not done sailing but uh you know, a nice little intermission, hopefully. Oh, that's awesome. Uh, tell me, when did you get this idea that you wanted to sail around the world? How did that come about? Oh, I must have been 12 years old or something like that. And, um, I've got lots of crazy plans that I need to make happen before I die. Um, and that was just one of them. And, um, you know, on my big list of things, I, I sort of, when I was younger, in my early 20s, I organized them in uh, difficulty. And by difficulty, I mean physical difficulty. And I put the most physically difficult things at the top and went down from there. And sailing around the world was one of these things, and I knew it would be physically challenging. And I wanted to do it when I was younger uh, so I could, you know, really get the most out of it. Um, I've done more physically demanding things earlier, but, you know, uh, I figure I can go, like, see Italy when I'm, like, an old man in a wheelchair with the oxygen mask. You know, they can, like, wheel me around Rome. <laughs> but uh, in the in-between, I'm, I'm trying to knock them out in, in this order. And uh, so it was just one on the list. So when you... Uh, did you meet Danny in college? Is that right? Or did you guys know... No, we... we we, we met after college. Okay. Um, yeah, so we we actually met in New Orleans, and I had just gotten back. I had been hiking up in the Yukon in the wintertime. Okay. And, uh, <laughs> I, I just yeah, I'm really interested in your list. I'd like to hear your list, if you don't mind telling me. If you were hiking in the Yukon, that sounds like pretty good on the list. <laughs> sounds like a lot to me. Sounds like you've you've like lived uh, you know five lives already, uh, but I I can't wait to hear about the other ones that you're gonna do too, <laughs> the other things you're gonna do too. Do you mind if I ask you about the Appalachian Trail? Did you did you hike all of that, or did you hike a big part of that? Is uh, you said you were a guide? Uh, yeah, I was I was a guide. I worked on it for a while, um, mostly doing uh, like co 
combination trips where a group would come and we would hike part of the trail and then we'd go down a couple of whitewater rivers. You were a guide and you, you had a lot of people pay you to take them on different parts. What parts of the trail were you uh, guiding through mostly? In what um, states? Most, mostly the trail around the Natahala and Ocoee rivers. So like Calico Gap and all like that. Um, and that, for those that, that are not familiar with the trail, where, where is that? It's in, it's in the southern part. It's in uh, like Tennessee, North Carolina uh, area. I really appreciate you talking to me. Great luck with your adventures. I love your boat, by the way. I was a big fan of the West Sail 32. I didn't like it as much as the boat we ended up buying, but I, I was very tempted by that. And had I found the right boat, we might have ended up owning one of those. So, so I'm a big fan of uh, your boat and uh, all that you've done so far. And uh, hopefully uh, I'll see you, uh, if not on... Uh, the RV I'll see on the water sometime. Yeah, man, that'd be great. It's really, uh, it's really fun meeting people like you. Thanks for uh, getting in touch with us and everything. Believe it or not, I raced in the Mardi Gras, Mardi Gras regatta last week. Oh, you did? Okay, awesome. Yeah. yeah so, you know, you, you can only keep me away from the water for so long. So. That was the end of my conversation with Tate McDaniel of Sundowner Sales again. Hopefully, we'll get to find out more about Tate and Danny's adventures on the water in the coming years. So we're, I'm still running the uh, 99-cent sale uh, for How to Sail Around the World part-time. Thanks to all of you who picked up a copy and made it a number one bestseller on Amazon in uh, sailing books. I am also offering the audiobook for an introductory price of 99 cents. It is available as a single mp3 download uh, an hour and 15 minutes on gumroad.com. I know there are many of you who don't feel like you have the time to sit down and read anything, even if it's an hour or two read, but you do find the time to listen to podcasts uh, and audiobooks if while you're working, doing the dishes, working on the boat, that kind of thing, driving. And so I hope you check it out at gumroad.com. How to Sail Around the World Part-Time dispels many of the myths that keep people uh, from going on the long passages of their dreams. And I hope that you can take advantage of these special offers uh, and check it out. I'll have the link to the Gumroad in the show notes, or you can just Google how to sail around the world part-time Gumroad, G-U-M-R-O-A-D, and that it'll probably come up there too. If you want to join in the adventure, subscribe to my free newsletter at slowboatsailing.com or when you check out the show notes. Also, you can write a review uh, if you've already read one of my books, Slow Boat to the Bahamas or How to Sail Around the World Part-Time. If you're working on your boat, I can get you $15 off your next purchase of $200 or more on at westmarine.com. So check out that link at slowboatsailing.com and 
click through it and enter the promotional code to take advantage of that special offer. I hope to have one or two more guests to talk about Cuba, and I'm uh, in conversations with a lot of other great guests right now. I plan to have a, a few more guest interviews before I start giving passage logs from uh, the travels that I've got planned for this May. Hi, I'm Jana Wilson. Thank you for listening to the Slow Boat Sailing Podcast. Subscribe to our free newsletter at slowboatsailing.com.